Welcome to Sisterhood. This is so exciting. I am just thrilled that we are back together for a fall semester. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining us. Um, this is just so exciting. Um, we are bursting at the seams here at the Apple Valley campus, and so I know the other campuses are as well, and so it is just so exciting. And I want to welcome anyone that might be here for the first time. If this is your first time at Sisterhood, um, we just hope that you feel so loved and so accepted. And our goal at Sisterhood is to make connections and friends and just to be a really safe place. It's a place that you can come in and just let your guard down. You can just be honest with how you're feeling. And we just want to do life with you. That is our goal. We want to do life together. We want to pray together, laugh together, cry together. That's what sisterhood is all about. And for those of you that may be the, the first time you've been here, we do have some rules at Sisterhood, and every fall, I kind of go through those rules, and just for the new people, and also just to reiterate to everyone um, what happens at Sisterhood, and that is that what happens here stays here um, at our tables, and we love to encourage each other, we love to cheer each other on here at Sisterhood, and we don't talk negatively. I know that may be hard to handle, because as women in the world, that's kind of a, a big part of our world is, um, maybe gossip or um, talking behind people's backs. Well, we don't do that here at Sisterhood. We don't allow it, we don't want it. And we wanna be women, we wanna be godly women that um, are just always cheering each other on. You know what, we don't need to compare. We don't need to um, think, oh, I wish I had what she had. No, God made each of us so unique. And so at Sisterhood, we just love each other. You know what, you come as you are. You come after a workout or after work or, you know, after watching kids and they've spit up on you, whatever it is, you just come as you are. And we love that about sisterhood. So just know that um, we want you to open up. We want you to be vulnerable. Because I say that what you put into sisterhood is what you're going to get out. If you put yourself out there, you are going to get so much back in return. So I would just encourage you just to get, the, get to know the women at your table. And also in the fall, every year what we do is we mix it up. So we put people at different tables. We don't let the same table stay together year after year because we don't want like cliques to form and people to feel like, oh, I'm new, I don't fit in. No, that's why we mix it up every fall. And so I just love that. And so I pray that you're just going to dive right in to sisterhood and you're going to open up and just be um, vulnerable at your tables. So this season, we are talking about women in the Bible. And each of us is original, and that's the theme for Sparkle this year. It's original. So I love to tie those two things together. And by the way, if you're not registered for Sparkle, you better get on that, girls, okay? The price is going to go up soon. There's about 500 spots left, and I'll tell you that those go really fast the last couple weeks. So we're getting really excited for that. But what we like to do is incorporate the theme of our conference with the theme of sisterhood for the fall. So this year, it's original. So we're gonna be taking a look at women in the Bible because each one is different and unique and original, just like you. And so today, we're gonna look at the story of Esther and how she embraced her destiny. So if you haven't heard the story of Esther, it's a book in the Bible and you can read it in there. And I'm just gonna give a really quick overview today. But Esther was a Jew who lived during the time when the Jewish people were captives in Persia. Now her parents died and her cousin Mordecai was raising her as his own daughter. 
Now, the king of Persia had a falling out with his wife, Queen Vashti, and like I said, this is a very condensed version, okay? So if you want to get all the details, you've got to read it. But he had a falling out with her, and he needed a new queen. And so his advisors thought it would be a good idea to get all the young, single, beautiful ladies in the kingdom together and have them kind of parade around, and he would get to pick a new queen. So the king loved this idea, of course, and Esther found herself among the young ladies that was taken to the palace. And after a year of preparation, Esther had her turn to impress the king, and she was very successful at that. It says in Esther 2, verse 17, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Now, I'm sure there were no hard feelings there at all, right? With Vashti and Esther. Um, but in the meantime, one of the king's highest officials, a man named Haman, became angry with Mordecai. This is the cousin that's raising Esther. Because Mordecai was a Christian, and he wouldn't bow down and worship Haman and give him the honor that he thought was due. So Haman was so angry with Mordecai that he wanted to kill Mordecai, and not just Mordecai, but all the Jewish people. So Haman talked the king into decreeing that all the Jewish people throughout the kingdom would be killed on a certain day. Now when Mordecai heard this decree, he made a copy of it and sent it to Esther, and he asked her to go to the king and plead for their people. Now this sounds easy enough if you're married and your husband makes a really stupid decision, and you know, you think it would be easy enough to just be like, go to him and say, honey, you know, respectfully, you made a really dumb decision, and I think you need to rethink this. And by the way, Haman, this guy, he's really bad news. I don't think you should be listening to him or getting advice from him. But obviously, times were different then, and especially if you were married to the king of Persia. And Esther was quick to point this out. She sent a message back to Mordecai, which said, and I'm reading from Esther 4, 11 through 17, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go and see the king in these 30 days. So Esther was human, just like you and I. She didn't jump up immediately and say, well, praise the Lord, I get to put my life at risk. <laughs> Even though it's for a good cause, right? Her initial response was one to make excuse, excuses out of fear. She responded like most of us would, but Mordecai didn't let her off the hook. And he said in verse 13, do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now Esther took Mordecai's encouragement to heart. She didn't get offended, and she didn't say, well, that's easy for you to say, right? I'm the one that's putting my life on the line. But instead, she summoned up her courage. I love that. She summoned up her courage, and she replied, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, 
which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's what Esther said. If I, if I perish, if I die, I die. This is the courageous conclusion that Esther came to. She disregarded her fear, and she put on her royal robes, and she went into the court of the palace. Esther 5, 2 through 3 says, So it was, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. The king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Well, Esther's request was that the king and Haman come to a banquet the next day. And at that banquet, the king said to her again, whatever it is you want, up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. What do you want? And she said, well, I want you and Haman to come back to a banquet again tomorrow. So by this time, Haman is like, you know what? I'm going to the private banquet that only the king and the queen are at. You know, I'm pretty hot stuff. I'm pretty high up there. I'm the only one being invited. But unfortunately, the next day when he went to the banquet, he found out that he was the one that was in trouble because Queen um, Esther told her husband that he was the one forming the evil plot to kill all the Jews. So Haman said, well, I said I'd give you what you want. So he kills Haman instead and saves the Jewish people. So isn't that amazing? She saved her people. She went from being an orphaned captive in a foreign land to a queen that's decreeing laws that were written in the Persian government. That's pretty amazing. She couldn't have written a better destiny for her life than the one that God wrote for her. Now this phrase, embracing your destiny, is one that I'm sure you've heard and the world uses it um, as well. But before we talk about how to embrace your destiny, let's talk about what that really means. And first of all, let's understand what it doesn't mean. So your destiny doesn't mean that we sit down and we examine our personality traits and our gifts and talents and interests, and we come up with this grand design for our life, and we start working out that plan. When it comes to stepping into our life's purpose, it isn't about working to accomplish a set of goals, even if those goals may include doing something for the Lord. If you've left him out of the planning stage, then you aren't going to fulfill your purpose because it's gonna to be too small. God's thinking is so much bigger than ours. And if we limit it to just what our mind can think, we've capped our potential. So if Esther had planned out her life, maybe she would sit down in Mordecai's house and I don't think she ever would have included becoming queen or saving a nation of people, or writing decrees in the king's book. It never would have occurred to her to include, I think I'm gonna have my life story written in the Bible with my name as the title, right? That would never have occurred to her, not in a million years. Destiny, the destiny, what it means is a state or a condition appointed or predetermined. This isn't something that a person determines on their own. Your destiny is appointed and predetermined by God. Psalm 139:16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So your days were created for you before you were born. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It's not like God, not like you were born and then God saw you and was like, oh. She kind of is like this or that, I think I'll do this. No, he didn't wait for that. He knew before you were born what you were predestined to do. 
And Mordecai said that about Esther. She was born for such a time as this. So if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. This is destiny. It isn't something that you create, but it's something that you step into. It's something that you embrace. Now, another woman in the Bible who embraced her destiny is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was busy planning her life to be the bride of Joseph. They were engaged at the time, and she had no idea that she was the one that was spoken of by the prophets who said the Messiah would be born from a virgin. But this was, this was her predetermined plan by God. Now, she didn't figure this out by sitting down again and examining her strengths and weaknesses and determining that, you know what, I think I want to be a mom to the Savior of the world. That's a pretty good title. I think I'll pick that. Not a chance. She didn't arrange her life around this outcome. She just served the Lord. And when the time was right and God revealed the plan, she stepped into that destiny. She embraced it, and God revealed this plan to her by sending the angel Gabriel to her. It says in Luke 1, 28 through 35, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary said yes to this incredible calling. Even though it wasn't her plan for her life, just think about it. She could have lost her good reputation. She could have lost Joseph. She could have lost everything. She was a young, engaged woman that was now pregnant, right? But neither Esther or Mary refused their purpose because it was difficult or dangerous. Both of these seemingly normal girls were given amazing destinies and they stepped into it and they said yes to God. So, if the destiny for your life is predetermined, then we might tend to think, well, it doesn't really matter what I do then because I'm just gonna go through life and God's just gonna plop it right in my lap. But Esther and Mary were both given a choice. They didn't have to accept the life that God offered them. We're talking about embracing destiny. Now, we define destiny as God's predetermined plan, but we have to embrace it. And in this context, embrace means to seize eagerly, to lay hold of, to receive or take with willingness that which is offered. So if you want to embrace your destiny, you need to seize it. So I want to talk about some practical ways that we can do this. First of all, we need to quit making excuses. Very practical, right? Esther was an orphan, but she didn't use that. She didn't use her past to disqualify her from her responsibility. And when the angel told Mary that she would have a child, she didn't list all the reasons why Gabriel came to the wrong house. On the contrary, when God told me to step out in faith and lead the women of this church, 
I gave him a very long list of why he had the wrong girl. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, okay, I am an introvert. My skill set is in accounting. I have no ministry training whatsoever. I certainly did not want to be on a stage speaking publicly. That was like the last place I wanted to be. I wanted to be in my cubicle, crunching numbers. That's what I like to do. But as I offered these excuses to God, he unfortunately wasn't very impressed. And none of these were accepted as a reason to disqualify me. And I had to come to terms with the fact that God didn't call me because I was qualified, but he enabled me after I said yes to his call. If you examine your own life and look at your strengths and weaknesses and your fears and insecurities, you're gonna end up with a list of excuses of why you can't do what God has predetermined for you to do. That's why you can't rely on your own understanding when you're about to step into his plan. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God says to behold that he is the Lord. Now behold just means to see or observe. So if we're looking at the Lord, that means we're not looking at ourselves. And if we're not looking at ourselves, then we won't be making those excuses because all we'll see is his limitless ability. He's limitless. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. So let's stop making excuses, okay? That's the first one. Number two, surrender your own agenda. What, what you do on this earth by God's design and direction will have an impact for eternity. And if you insist on carrying out your own agenda, your view for your life will be very short-sighted. Like I said before, our mind is so, so small compared to God, and we can get too enamored with what's right in front of us and be really short-sighted. That's why Jeremiah said in chapter 10, 23, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not good for them to direct their own steps. We aren't good at planning our own lives, even though we try to do it all the time. We tend to conform to what's familiar, what's comfortable, what's suggested by society, and God is just the opposite. He's countercultural, he's counterintuitive, and he loves to be unpredictable. Sometimes doing what God le leading us to do is just scary, sometimes it might feel crazy, but to do his will, we have to totally surrender. If we're gonna embrace his purpose, we have to quit embracing ours and everything that we have in our thought and in our mind. We have to release it and surrender it. But the great thing about surrendering our will and devoting ourselves to God's will is that then it's up to him. He has this plan for our life, and when we surrender to him, he's the one that has to make it happen. So that should take a load off of you. I know it does for me. Like when I first started doing this, I'm like, oh Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I still kind of don't, but I have people that help me. <laughs> but he's the one that has to do it. He's the one. We, we started Sparkle 10 years ago now. We had 300 people. No idea what we we're doing. But we just stepped out and we said, okay God, we want a conference that women are gonna come together and they're gonna be challenged and they're gonna, their life can be changed. We have people that receive salvation at the conference and just God calls them into things and, and we set that time apart to be able to listen to God's voice. And so, 
you know what? We don't know what we're doing, but we just step out and we be obedient. And so that takes that load off of us when we know we don't have to make everything work. He's the one that's going to make it work. We just have to be obedient. Okay, number three, we need to wait for God's timing. Esther waited for the right moment to plead for her people. She didn't just blurt it out right away when she got into the presence of the king. And God's timing is so essential. Just because you know what to do doesn't mean you know when to do it. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And your destiny is a purpose under heaven, which means that there is a season to that purpose. So how do we know God's timing? It's so hard to figure out sometimes. You know, we get an obstacle thrown at us and we think, oh, that must mean God wants me to wait. But then everything is chaotic and then that's when you think, oh, now this is when God wants me to act, right? So how do we know when to do it? We have to seek the Lord. We have to seek his peace. I think this is one of the biggest things when I'm making a decision is I just follow the peace. You just have to um, say, Lord, you know, show me where to go, and then you just kind of wait, you rest in that peace, and then you look for confirmations as well. God will give you confirmations in his word. Sometimes he uses other people. I know it wasn't an hour after he, he called me to step out and lead the women that one of our pastor's wives said, hey, I have a word for you. God wants you to lead the women. I'm just like, no. <laughs> Why did you have to say that out loud, right? But he'll confirm it to you. You just have to wait on his timing. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And while you're waiting, don't allow weariness to cause you to act before it's time. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. All right, number four, we need to prepare. If you're in a position of knowing what's God, what God's purpose for your life is, but the timing isn't right, we shouldn't just stand still or tread water or think, you know what, we're just waiting, there's nothing to do. We can prepare during this time. We can actually set margin in our schedule for when things change. We can actually learn something new that will help us in this new season. We can prepare our heart by drawing closer to Jesus. And our actions of preparing are really acts of faith because that's showing God, hey, I expect you to bring about my destiny. I'm expecting it. I'm ready. I'm moving forward. I'm preparing myself for that. Esther prepared and sought the favor of God. She did both. She expected God to intervene, but she also took action, and her action was praying and fasting and getting others to pray and fast, and she was preparing her heart and building up her courage for what she needed to do. She also prepared a banquet to invite the king to, and when the time was just right, then Esther approached the king. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So when we're diligent and purposeful, in pursuing God's desires for us, he blesses our plans because we're surrendering to him. Number five, the last one, is listen to the right voices. There's always, always, always going to be the naysayers out there, right? There's always going to be the negative people that are going to tell you, you can't do it, you're crazy, what are you thinking, How, why would God ask you to do that? 
there's always going to be those naysayers. So you have to not listen to them, and usually they're the people that are the closest to you, so it might be really hard. But you have to realize that God spoke that word to you. He didn't speak that to them. So we have to give grace to people and realize, you know what? This is something that God spoke to me, and I'm going to be obedient in that. In Esther's case, the opposition came from inside her own head, which is, I, I think, where most of ours <laughs> comes from as well, right? We reason everything. We figure out the, you know, what are the consequences? What happens if I fail? All these negative thoughts come into our head. And Esther knew the, the same thing. She knew the law. She knew that if she went before the king without being summoned, she could be killed. But in the end, she chose to listen to the voice of Mordecai, who said, as we read earlier, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews for another, from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai was reminding Esther of what was at stake and that she was the one in position to do something about it. Now, we can't only surround ourselves with people that feel sorry for us when we go through a challenge. We actually need to surround ourselves with people that are going to encourage us and maybe give us um, a little kick when we um, want to take the easy way out or the safe road. Because um, you don't want to miss out on the blessing of, of doing what God's calling you to do, even though it's hard. You don't want to be the one that forfeits that destiny because you think it's too hard. So all these instructions that we talked about can be summed up in a, in a little phrase, and that is, be devoted to God. Devotion isn't trivial. It describes an all-in commitment and a dedication of your life. And we see this attitude in Mary when she said in Luke 138, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is such a simple statement, but it carries a huge implication. It can be scary to say yes to God. But if we're going to embrace the destiny that he has for our lives, this is a statement that we have to be willing to say. I'm your servant, Lord. Whatever you want, let it happen to me. God wants to show himself strong and powerful on your behalf, and he needs you to cooperate by giving him the devotion of your heart. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. Other translations say he wants hearts that are loyal, blameless, or perfect. And in Hebrews, this, this word means complete, friendly, full, made ready, peaceable, and whole. Now, this verse doesn't say that God is looking for perfect behavior or perfect ability. He's looking for someone with a perfect heart. When the father looked for someone that would deliver his people from Haman's plan, he found a loyal heart in Esther. And when he looked for someone with the enormous responsibility of raising his son on this earth, he found a fully committed heart in Mary. What does he see when he looks at you? Is your heart devoted to the Lord or is it committed to other things? His eyes are running back and forth across the earth looking for someone who is fully committed to him. So let's be the one whose devotion gets his attention. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much 
for all these beautiful women in sisterhood, God. And I just pray that you would help us, God, to step into our destinies. You have one for each one of us, Lord. And I pray that we would be so devoted to you that when our time comes, Lord, we would be so ready, we would be so prepared, God, to step out into what you have us do. God, help us to get into your word and just be so devoted. God, we love you and we thank you that we have a purpose on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.